Father, You are the one that we praise. You are the one that we adore. We're here to worship You this morning. We thank You for the privilege that we have to gather together in freedom and in safety. We thank You for the privilege that we have to to be together as a family of faith, as the body of Christ, to listen to Your Word, to be prepared and to be equipped, to be challenged and to be corrected. And our prayer this morning, Father, is that You would speak through Your Word, that Your Holy Spirit will do His work, which He does, He does all the time, of bringing illumination and understanding of truth, of bringing application of truth to our hearts, by showing us the things that we should not do, that we are doing, that we may confess and repent and do differently, come all the way back. Uh, We pray, Father, that uh, Your Holy Spirit will show us those things that we should be doing, that we are not, that we can own it and confess and repent and resolve to do those things dependent upon Your power. Father, I pray that You will encourage us, that You will strengthen us. We see throughout so many times in Your Word the call to be courageous because You are the Lord. You are Almighty. You are strong. You uphold us. You are our strength. And so, Father, I pray that you'll meet us at our point of need today. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts. And I pray, Father, that you'll be glorified in all that's said and in all that's done, as you have been this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 4. Ella, thank you for reading this morning the passage of Scripture. We are in the book of Acts And so while you're turning there, just to remind you that we have been studying the launch of the church. For centuries, God had been preparing the world for the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one that He promised would come. God sovereignly chose Abraham. We read this in our daily Bible reading in January, where God sovereignly chose Abraham and his family and his descendants. And He revealed Himself to them and made them enter into a covenant and made them His people and He would be their God. He gave them and their descendants, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He gave them and their descendants, all of the Jews, the responsibility to be a light to the nations. He established temple worship and ceremonial laws, including the confession of sin demonstrated by the practice of animal sacrifice to, the point, to point to the coming perfect sacrifice, the one that was promised, the precious lamb that would take away the sins of the world. Now at this point in our history lesson, if you will, God's history is always, the, always history that we need to learn and study how God has worked in the past. And God sent His Son to be born of a virgin to live a sinless life, to be righteousness on earth, be righteousness in the flesh. He lived, tempted in every way, just as you and I are. And he didn't sin at all, not any. He didn't think a wrong thought. He didn't do a wrong behavior. He did not transgress. He didn't break any of God's commandments. He was perfect. And being perfect, he was qualified to take the place as an innocent one, to take the place of those who are guilty. He lived, tempted in every way as we are without sin, yet without sin. He came to seek and to save the lost. He's called the great physician, the one who, the great doctor who came to heal the sick and to heal our broken relationship with God. He came as the light of the world, the light shining in the darkness. But ultimately, He came to take on Himself the righteous punishment of a holy God against sin. Many of you are very familiar with what happened in the Garden of Eden when God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one is forbidden. 
If you transgress that law, the day you break that law, you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. And so Jesus came to pay the wages of sin. The Bible word for that is propitiation. He came to be our propitiation, to be our substitute, to take our place from the first sin and for all sin. The penalty is death, physical death, which is really just a doorway to eternity, and far worse, eternal death. And Jesus took the wrath of God, that death, upon himself on the cross. Now, every religion that has ever been, with one exception, but every religion that has ever been, has been trying to explain to people how they can be better people, or how they can get to God, or get to some supreme being, or get to heaven, or get to some glorious afterlife. This one is different. What Jesus came to do is God's anointed one, the holy God, sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, not to simply show us a way that we could get to God. That's dependent upon us. That's dependent upon our good works, our resolve, our commitment, our strength. He came to us to do what we could not do. And so Jesus came to be the way to God. And that is where we left Peter and John last week when, in studying at retreat, at Acts chapter, well, over the last few weeks. In Acts chapter 3, and I want to encapsulate this because it's a whole story. Peter and John and the Christians, the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them. I'm going to walk around, guys. I'm just going to give one. What happens, for those of you who are in the room, you can follow me with your eyes. For those who are watching online, all of a sudden I just disappear and walk off screen. And so we're, 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 we're going to, but I'm, I'm going to walk around, so somebody's going to have to be a little bit attentive. What happened is Peter and John were with all these Christians. 3,000 had gotten saved as a result of the first sermon. And they were Jews. It was a Jewish population, and the Jews worshipped at the temple. And the Jews didn't just worship at the temple on Sunday morning at 1030. They went every day. And there was a place for them to go in. The temple was massive. It was big. It had these big platforms. And it had these gates. And there were multiple access points. And they had these different courtyards. You had the courtyard of the Gentiles. That was the biggest area. Then you had the courtyard for women. And you had these other places that you would go to. And you could come further for worship. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon was when they would have the evening prayers and the evening sacrifice. And so while they were there, they were rulers of the Jews. They were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. If you want to know more about that, go back last week's sermon. You can listen to that online. But the Sadducees were the rulers of the Jews. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They were also the priests. There were 24 active priests on duty. And the priests would be the ones who were carrying out the duties of the temple. They would take the sacrifice. They would offer the sacrifice and all of those components of things. Meanwhile, you also had a police force, the temple police, the guard if you will. And they were charged with keeping the peace. Well, Peter and John were going to the temple along with a whole bunch of other people, many of them Christians, who had gotten saved in the last sermon. Brand new believers in Christ going to the Jewish temple because they were still Jews. And they were beginning to understand now that that worship has been supplanted with the new worship, like Jesus had said in John 4. Now it's worship in spirit and truth. Right? And so they're going to the temple, and as they go, they're going in the gate beautiful, which is massive, big, beautiful gates, bronze cast. It took 60 men to open and close those gates to go to the temple. But there's a guy outside, and he's lame. He's been lame since birth. Now, he's lame enough that he can't get up and walk. He's lame enough that he can't run, that he can't skip. And he was born that way. And probably... He made his way as best as he could or somebody helped him get there and that's where he would park because on the way to church is a good place to go if you're asking for money, right? 
That's when people are feeling pretty generous and feeling, oh, you know, it might be a good time. So he's, he's not foolish. He's wise. But he comes and he's asking for alms. They hear him. He gets their attention. And then all of a sudden they get his. And they stop and say, look at me. And he does. He stops what he's doing. And he pays attention to Peter and John. And I don't know what he's expecting. But I can tell you what he's not expecting. <laughs> Because he's so surprised at what happens. Peter says, no money. No silver. No gold. No money. I don't have anything. Money. But I've got something far better. Such as I have, I give to you. And in the name of Jesus, Peter tells him, rise up and walk. And the Bible makes it clear that instantaneously we have a supernatural miracle Basically, a miracle of creation takes those twisted sinews and muscles and bones and limbs and feet and whatever it was that caused his lameness. And all of a sudden now, he's healthy. He doesn't have to go to therapy, rehab, learn how to walk. He's healthy. And he immediately gets up. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Think about it just for a minute. Imagine. Never dreamed. Beyond wildest expectations. And he begins to walk. And he gets pretty excited. And he begins to run. And he begins to leap. And people are watching this. And they, that's, the, that's the guy. He's 40 something years old. For decades he's been sitting outside the door of the temple. He's lame. He hadn't been fooling us. This is not a game. This is not some trick. He's not a plant. We know this guy. We've given alms to this guy. And look at the change. And that was the introduction to Peter's second sermon that we have recorded. Because Peter and John continue to make their way through the gates, beautiful, into the courtyard of the Gentiles where there's this massive crowd. And this guy's jumping around and whooping and hollering. And people are watching it. And the, it, the, the information spreads throughout the crowd. And it draws the crowd. And they want to know what's going on. And Peter begins to preach. Now Peter preaches, again, the same truth that he's already preached and all the apostles are preaching and that has continued to preach throughout the book of Acts. And it's basically got two points. The first thing, he says, men of Israel, I want you to understand that this Jesus you crucified, he starts with guilt. He lets them know that they are sinners, that there is a problem. That God's promised Messiah, He's here. He arrived and you crucified Him. You turned Him over to the Romans. You rejected Him. Many of you cried out in the crowd, crucify Him, crucify Even released to us Barabbas, a murderer. You are guilty of sin and rejecting God's Messiah. But He goes from guilt right to grace. <laughs> right to grace. But this Jesus, God raised Him from the dead. This was God's plan all along, by God's predetermined will, that you would do this. That He would die to pay the penalty for our sins. And He offers grace and forgiveness. And He gives this call, repent and come all the way back. Believe in Jesus. You had not been believing in Jesus? Repent of that. Say, I was wrong. And turn and now believe in Jesus. Place your trust and faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. And come all the way back. This isn't, all right, I'm a Jew, and now I'll add Christ to that and check it's something else I do. This is complete surrender. This is turn your lives over. And what happens? You're forgiven. You're forgiven from your wickedness. You're forgiven. Times of refreshing will come. And when you face judgment, when the Lord Jesus comes back to establish His kingdom, you will be part of His family, part of His kingdom. Your eternity is secure. What a great message. Amen? Good sermon. Good sermon. Amen? Help. Amen? Alright, yes. Okay, good sermon. I just want to make sure you're not asleep yet. Now, thousands there. Thousands. I know because 5,000 believed. 5,000 believed. And the word there for men is andros, not anthropos. Anthropos means 5,000 people, mankind. Andros means males. This is 5,000 of the men who are in that space, believed. And because of the culture of the day, when they were doing head counts, they didn't count the women. They didn't count the children, the youth, the young adults. They counted the men, the beards. Okay? And so there's at least 5,000 and maybe ten who that day placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But everybody wasn't happy with the message. Remember Sadducees? They don't believe in the resurrection. They sure don't believe in Jesus. They're the rulers of the temple. You remember the priest? The priests are carrying out priestly duties, and they're doing sacrifices, and they're doing these functions. And now all of a sudden, somebody's over here preaching, and that's not their job, that's my job. You ever had somebody just jump up and take your place? Not happy. Not happy. And so they call the guard. What do you do? You call, the, you call the security services. And they come, and there's Peter and John, and they're preaching. But now I want you to know that Peter and John aren't standing along. There's some guy running laps around them. Who do you think that is? That's the guy who just got healed. Can you imagine? He, just, he is making a ruckus and clinging to them. Now, it's late in the evening. Remember, it's three when they were going in. Peter's just preached a sermon. And by the way, it's not explicit in the text, but it is inferred in the text. This was, this was a long sermon, not a short one. We get the cliff notes in, in the scripture that the Lord preserved for us. Basically, the outline and the short part. But it's hours later. It's getting dark. The Jewish day ends at six o'clock. They grabbed Peter and John and they laid hands on them. And they said, well, it's late, so... We're going to keep you in jail overnight. So they are in prison overnight. The next morning, though, they're roused up, they're brought out, and they're brought before this group of people, the Sanhedrin, the rulers, the Sadducees, and also the high priestly family. Annas, the ex-officio, the the previous, he's retired. Uh, Caiaphas, the sitting high priest, his two brothers, and all of the Sanhedrin. And they ask him, in whose name, by what power, did you do this miracle? By what power did you, did you do this? And that's a great introduction to a sermon. Another great introduction. Ask me how we did this. And Peter, of course, says, yeah, it's not us. It's not our power. It's not our might. It is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. It is in the name of the Anointed One, the Messiah of God, that you put to death. And again, give Peter an opportunity, and he preaches... You're guilty. There's a need you have to have fixed. And there's grace. Jesus is the answer to that need. And he, he, he's talking about Jesus. The name of this series is Let's Talk About Jesus. 
He's talking about Jesus everywhere he goes and every audience. They're not happy with that. But they can't deny the miracle that has take play, taken place. And so they tell them, hush. They can't deny the truth. They're not even trying to deny the truth. But they tell them, you can't talk about it. Don't preach anymore. Don't teach anymore. Don't do anything else in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John, two fishermen, two, two uneducated fishermen, standing in front of the elite, say, whether it's better for us to obey God or to obey you, you'll have to decide what they're saying is we're going to obey God. And we're going to trust God. We're going to obey God even if you don't want us to. They say we can't help but do to bear witness what we have seen, to bear witness of the things that we have seen and that we have heard. The scripture goes on right before their scripture reading that we picked up in verse 23 and says... They continued to threaten them. And I don't know what the threat was. You keep this up and we'll put you back in jail. And this time we won't be so lenient. You keep this up. And according to Jewish law, we can beat, punish, cane people as punishment for breaking our laws. Or maybe you keep this up and and we'll take your houses. We'll take your income. We'll leave you with nothing. You keep... What about this? We crucified Jesus whom you preach. You think we won't crucify you if you keep this up? And yet in these threats, they continued with resolve to speak the gospel. Now, picking up in our text, but before we get to this, and all of this this is a long introduction, but it's important. Because even though this is a long passage of Scripture... The points are very simple. Jill read Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Actually, 18 and 19. But all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go ye therefore as you go, therefore make disciples of all nations, ta ethni, every ethnicity, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe... All the things that I have commanded to you, and, and lo, pay attention, hey, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. You know that passage, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we studied it in depth just a few weeks ago. We've studied it repeatedly in this church. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, the work that he completed, that he, that he began in his body, now he's continuing through his body, the church, he's working through us. We are continuing the work of Christ. And he says, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be, what's the next word? After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be, what's the next word? Witnesses. You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the othermost parts of the earth. Um, Is there, and I can take you to dozens of passages of Scripture. As a matter of fact, we have studied dozens dozens of passages of Scripture that make it abundantly clear that the disciples of Christ, indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, have the privilege, the joy, the duty, the responsibility to be witnesses of this Christ to our generation and our location. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's also a duty and a responsibility. And when they were threatened, when Peter and John were threatened 
And when Peter and John were arrested, and when Peter and John, their freedom was at risk, their health was at risk, and their possessions were at risk, I pray that you and I will simply be bold enough to speak up about Jesus, to face a taste of what they faced. They had to be told not to speak, and they said, we're going to speak anyway. We are continually being exhorted to speak, and we struggle to do that. And so I pray that we will have the same passion. What I'm praying for us as a church is that every person who is a a member of this congregation, a covenant member of this congregation, will speak the gospel. We'll have the joy and the privilege of speaking the gospel to somebody you already know. That you'll sit down with a, a brother or a sister or a parent or a child. That you'll sit down with a coworker. That you'll sit down with somebody that, uh, that you um, hang out with. Somebody that you, I don't know, somebody you go to the gym with. Somebody that you run with. Somebody that you talk to on the phone. And you will share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to be a little confessional. Try not to do this too much. But as I was studying and praying and working through this, uh, particularly Friday morning, I was at the office and it has the little confession. Friday morning, squeaking this outline and these questions in, making sure we had them worded right. And I wanted to get them to Kendra in time so that they could be printed and so that they could be posted. And man, I got convicted because I hadn't shared the gospel, I hadn't talked to someone about Jesus since last Sunday. I mean, I hang out with Christians mostly. And that doesn't reduce my responsibility. As a matter of fact, it raises the bar. And this was actually Thursday. But I had to get up and leave my office. Confess, repent, get up and leave my office and go track down somebody to witness to. Does that sound silly to you? Oh, it's just a duty. He's got to go check it off of his list. Let me tell you what it was for me. It was motivation for me to be obedient to what God's already commanded that I do. And so I went down to Gather Greenville, caught a couple walking down the sidewalk who were happy to talk, and we had a great conversation. A seed was planted. We didn't see any fruit that day. But I know their names and I know where they live. And they might be watching today. I hope so. Because I hope they understand that our motivation in this is because we love people, we want them to know the truth. Now, I want to make an, uh, just a lot of times when we talk about evangelism, the pastor comes along as though he's got a whip and he's just, just beating the tar of the congreg- congregation. And I, I don't want that to be the case at all. But I do want us to make sure that we understand something. If the Lord Jesus Christ has told you to do something and you do not do it, that's called sin. So how do you address sin? If the Lord Jesus... Now, I know, and I was counting up this week. I talked to the guys Friday morning at prayer breakfast. I can name probably 13 people in this congregation that I know have shared the gospel since the beginning of the year, or at least over the last couple of months, because I've heard your testimony, or you've asked me for a passage of Scripture or a verse, or you've asked me to pray with you about someone. So praise the Lord. That's great. Hallelujah. I praise God for that. Won't you understand? I'm excited about it. I think that's great good news. But I want everyone to have that joy. And I want everyone to not be guilty 
of not doing what God's called us to do. I think sometimes, just as a, as a, as a parent, uh, I think that sometimes we forget how important this is, but we forget how gracious God is. Have you ever told your child to do something as simple as taking out the, take out the trash? Some of you have. All right, I'm glad. So, parent to child, and, and I'll use a, a pretend child, since I'm not going to pick on any of my three. Um, William, take out the trash. Close the bag, put it in the can outside. And William says, I know I should take out the trash. I know I should close the bag, I should tie it off, I should take it outside. But William never gets off the couch. What is the parent's response to that? How do you feel at that point? William, I told you, take out the trash. I agree. Man, I agree. And I'm learning how to take out the trash. As a matter of fact, we're going to have a class at school on how to take out the trash. And how to be responsible and how to fulfill these duties and these responsibilities. And, 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 and I just, you know, but the trash never gets taken out. Okay? William, take out the trash. I will. I will. I was going to take out the trash. Don't get mad. I'm, I'm going to do it. Can any parent here relate to that kind of conversation? Okay. Let me tell you about our gracious God. Our gracious God says, be a witness to your generation. Share the gospel with your friends, your neighbors, the people around you, people you know, people you don't know. You are the messenger of the gospel. Not your job to save. My job to save. Not even your job to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's my job. It's not even your job to draw them or heighten their interest. That's my job. Your job is simply to bear witness of me. And to the extent that we don't do that, we're like the child, William, who can talk about it, think about it, and never get it done. Now that sounds a little bit like a stick, doesn't it? <laughs> Guys, it's a sin. What do you do with sin, though? You confess, you agree with God, you repent, you turn, and you come all the way back. You resolve. I am resolved, Father, please use me. Now, here's what you're going to find when you say yes to that. And I, I had two conversations this past week with members of this church who said, had a conversation last week, and it was way outside of my comfort zone, but it's a step. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, man. I, y'all don't get to hear some of the stuff I hear, and I'm not going to share other people's testimony, but I want to give you opportunity to share your testimony of how it went for you. And it's exciting, exciting to hear I just think it needs to, I don't think, I know that it needs to increase as we're obedient. These guys were faithful. Peter and John, the disciples, were so faithful to talk about Jesus, and it was not well received. So how do you respond when it's hard to be a witness? In our passage today, I want to make three points. The first thing, when Peter and John were released, what did they do? They went back to their friends. In the Greek text, the word friends isn't there. It basically says they went back to their own. Verse 23, the first part of verse 24, they went back to their own and they 
began to pray. And so the first thing I want to say is, how do we get better at talking about Jesus? How do we get better at talking to people with the go- about the gospel? How do we do that? Well, join up with other believers who have the same mission, the same commission, the same struggles, the same fears, the same difficulties, the same embarrassment sometimes, the same, the same outside of our comfort zone. Join up with others and pray. And there are a lot of reasons to do this. Number one, you're not in this alone. It's not dependent upon you. We want you to be surrendered and yielded because we want you to have the joy of seeing someone be drawn to Christ through God's Word, to see someone being granted repentance, to see someone being made new, regenerate, brought from death to life by the power of the Holy Spirit as a result or as a consequence or just simply because of your involvement in their life. Okay? That makes sense? And so we pray together for that. We join and together to pray, to ask God to do that. It lets us know that we're not alone. It lets us know that we are partners. They prayed together for boldness. When they were released, they went to their friends, or literally their own, and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. That's threats and warnings. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. We need to, and there are examples of this throughout Scripture. You remember in Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Pray for us, pray for me, uh, that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, which is why I, Paul, am in prison, that I may make it clear how I ought to speak. Paul said, I need you, Church at Philippi, to be praying for me, an evangelist. What about Philippians chapter 1? And I love it when he writes to the church at Philippi. This is a passage of Scripture I think that's important for us. I mean, all of it is important for us. But in the context of joining together, he says, starting in verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's encouraging them. They're in difficulty and he's in jail. He's saying, live worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I can come see you, Paul, can come see you, the church, or I can't, or I'm absent, that I can hear what? That you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. What, what are they supposed to be standing firm in? What are they supposed to be striving for, working side by side? What is this teamwork, this partnership, this family knitted together for? It is striving for the faith of the gospel. And it requires sometimes striving, and it requires encouragement because there's opposition. That's the next phrase. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. Why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the kings plot? Because they can no longer be God if there is a true God And it is a clear sign to them of their destruction. But not for those in grace. It's a clear sign of your salvation. And that's from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, it's been granted to you that you can suffer for His sake. Engage in the conflict you saw I had, and now that I still have, says Paul, who is in prison for preaching the gospel. So the first thing that he does, that Peter and John do, is they go back and they... Meet with others of their own and they pray. So I want to encourage those of you who are struggling with opening up your mouth and talking to somebody about Jesus. Find somebody. I would encourage you to find somebody in this room. And go to them and say, Will you pray for me that I will have the courage and the boldness and the wisdom and the knowledge and the Holy Spirit will give me words to say, I can talk to this person about Christ. Join me in praying for them and you pray for me. Okay? 
Very simple, right? But we forget that God answers prayer. We forget the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Much. We forget that we have not because we ask not. And when we ask, we aren't asking for the right things. And this is the right thing. This is in the will of God. And so we need to pray together and pray for others and pray for boldness. Now, we'll tell you, you need boldness because you're going to face opposition. What did they pray? They started out with simply saying, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, and by the Holy Spirit, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? This is Psalm chapter 2, by the way. Great Psalm. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and His anointed. And they talk about their circumstance. In this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predetermined to take place. Let's go ahead and put, how do you become a better witness? How do you become more faithful at this? You pray with others for boldness and you trust in God's sovereignty. Do you hear them echoing again and again, our God is God, our God is sovereign, our God is in control? We tend to think, If my problems go away, God is good, and I'm doing all right. But if my problems don't go away, then either I've done something terribly wrong or God's not paying attention, right? But that's not what Scripture says again and again. You remember what Job said when he lost all that he lost? Why should I take good from the Lord and not take evil? Do you remember that passage of Scripture? Trials, storms, struggles difficulties, opposition. They don't happen when we're wrong. Most often, quite frankly, they happen when, or many times, I don't know, maybe I should not say most often. Many times they happen because we're right. Because it is how God is developing us and equipping us and using us, particularly in the area of evangelism, to trust in God's sovereignty. First of all, I want to make this abundantly clear. You don't save anybody. It's not your job. God ordains, God draws, God convicts, God grants repentance, God brings the dead to life. You can't claim that power. That's God's power and God's alone. Amen? Salvation belongs to our Lord. But that should motivate you more, not less, to talk about Jesus. The King of kings is He. The Lord of lords supreme throughout eternity. The great I am, the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. We should be fully, entirely confident that God's going to accomplish His will and purpose. We want Him to accomplish it in us and through us. It's a privilege for us. And a sin when we don't, I want to be abundantly clear, but a privilege and an honor for us to be a part of God's saving work by being those who proclaim the good news. What a joy. What a privilege. What an honor to trust in the sovereignty of God. And in the sovereignty of God, not everybody's going to be happy with your witness. The Gentiles are going to rage and the kings are going to plot. And there's going to be opposition and people aren't going to like you. And there are going to be struggles. And there's going to be other things that take place as we go through this. But you can trust that God is in control. So we join together and we pray. We put our faith and trust in the sovereignty of God. And I'm, we're not even going to get to point three today. How about that? We'll pick up there next week. But I do want to, by the way, I don't know. Maybe we'll just touch on it because point three is the fun part. 
many believed. They, con- they resolved to continue to speak the gospel in boldness. And the Lord continues to add to the church. As a matter of fact, He adds not only conversions. He adds family members. They're born into the family. And the people join together. And those who didn't have friends now had friends. Those people who were struggling financially now had a resource that God could use to meet their needs. Those people who were struggling with courage now had people to pray with for courage in their witness. There were no longer people who were lonely and left and ignored and derided and looked down on. There became a safe place called the family of God for these people to join their minds and their hearts together. And we become motivated to share the gospel because we know what happens when we do. God makes people new. And He joins us to a family. And we need our lives to be worthy of the gospel. We need to love one another as a display. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. As you have love one for another. But we'll come back and we'll look at the last part of this later. I want to close simply with this exhortation. Many of you know, most of you know, that we are planning on relocating our worship services back to the West End as soon as the Lord provides for us a building over there. We're working on that. There will be an update in the newsletter. We'll have a meeting this month sometime when we bring everybody up to date on the site plan and the plan. But one of the things that we've done is we've asked you to fill out a survey evaluating our congregation. We want to know how God's working and where, where we need God to work more. All right, that's important. Please do that for us. It's helpful. But another thing that we've done is we've, we went and walked down the streets of West Greenville. And we've driven down the streets of West Greenville. And we've talked to people. And let me tell you what we've discovered. We've discovered that there are blocks and communities and people who have been there who are struggling week to week, month to month. How are they going to take care of their families? How are they going to feed their kids? A lot of times there's only one parent, either a father or a mother in the household. And they're having to work and they're, or they're, they're, doing, they're struggling to make ends meet. And many of them do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is not part of their conversation at home. And then you go a couple of blocks down the road. And then there are people who have built nice houses, remodeled houses. And they are affluent. They are wealthy. And they're not struggling per se week to week, month to month. As a matter of fact, when you ask them, how can we pray for you? Their initial response is, well, we're doing fine. No problems. We think we're okay. You don't really need to pray for us. Can I tell you something? That their need and their need is exactly the same need. Because the problem is the same. What is the problem? Your sins have separated between you and your God. What is the answer? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we have a uniform problem, and there is only one answer. But a lot of times people don't even know what the problem is. That's why Peter's sermons always start with, there's a sin problem. Then they know, or need to know, that God has given us an answer. What is the answer? The Lord Jesus Christ. Guilt and grace. Law and grace. And folks, don't you want to tell them? Don't you want to tell them? I do. I do. 
And so I'm going to ask that we do something today. I'm going to ask simply that we pray for one another. Now, if you're not talking about Jesus, if you're a believer, if you're saved, now if you're not saved, understand this, but if you're a believer and you're saved, you have a commission from God. You have a, have a command. Salvation is not on your shoulders. Proclamation is. And so I'm going to pray that we ask that we, first of all, individually confess, repent, and resolve. But I'm going to ask that you pray for somebody else here. Would you do that? Can we pray for each other? That we will have the courage and the boldness and the willingness to simply talk to someone about Jesus. This month, it's May. Good month. There are dozens of ways to turn the conversation to that. But let's spend some time together right now praying for one another as they prayed for boldness to be faithful to proclaiming the gospel. Pick somebody. Take a moment. Go ahead and close your eyes. Go ahead and, or don't close your eyes. Look around. Find somebody. It may be a family member that you're praying with. It may be somebody that you don't even, you haven't met yet. We have some guests here today. You just pick somebody up. Maybe somebody that you're familiar with who is already sharing the gospel with someone and you want to pray for them particularly. But let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to be a part of your work. Thank you that when you save us, you didn't save us to sit. You don't bless us to simply revel in our blessings. But you bless us in order that the nations may know the name of the Lord. Thank you for the privilege that you're giving us to, to be salt and light. The honor that you give us to talk about Jesus again and again, over and over. To tell the story of sin and guilt and the answer of grace and forgiveness and being made new and being part of a family. Thank you that it, become, it has become clear to us that the world's greatest need is Jesus. And Father, that our response as believers is to exalt the name of Jesus. And I pray that we will live lives worthy of the gospel. I pray, Father, that we will strive together side by side. I pray, Father, that you will bring many sons to glory as a result of our obedience and as a result that our joy might be full. Father, we love you. We thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.